Once UI UX that actually stands out and gets noticed, our friends at Reveal Eyes brought punchy personality to our SaaS Doc 2022 look and feel, bringing the whole event to life, both on our website and in person. Go to revealize.com, that's R-E-V-E-A-L-I-Z-E.com for a free UI UX consultation today. I think a lot of people just don't have a strong strategy and figure out like how they're going to get traffic to that content, how they're going to like stand out amongst the noise. I mean, it's just there's just so much stuff, and it's not, you know, as I always say as well, you're not just competing with other B2B SaaS content; you're just competing for people's attention. Hey everyone, welcome back to the SaaS Revolution Show, brought to you by SaaS Talk, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth, and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. All right, welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, founder of SaaS Doc. Uh, delighted to kick off the first podcast recording of 2023. Uh, and uh, I, I've got somebody uh, that we known for, well, perhaps pre-SaaS Doc uh, era, um, uh, my guest today is John Collins, who is the former um, head of content at Ramp, uh, one of the fastest growing SaaS companies of recent times, uh, the former head of content uh, at uh, Intercom, uh, and now independent advisor to B2B uh, companies, uh, probably around content, I guess, John. Pretty much content, top of funnel, organic marketing, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh Everyone wants to try and crack content marketing, right? So uh, exactly. that's definitely what a lot of clients come to me for. Good stuff. Well, uh, it's taken eight years, but great to have <laughs> you on the, uh, on the, on the podcast uh, uh, finally. And uh, also, I mean, talking largely, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about content marketing, no surprises, which, is, you, you know, mm-hmm. whilst I'm CEO of SaaS Doc, it's probably my favorite like area of business to uh, and where SaaS dot came from, right? Yeah. We, we came from content marketing. So uh, excited for this. And uh, to tell, tell the audience, you know, obviously I did a very short intro to you, but who is John Collins, you know, uh, as a person, you, you know, who, who are you, John? Yeah. Who am I? That's a very deep question to, to, to start with uh, in the depths of January when we're all feeling a little bit down, but um, who, who am I? So yeah, like I'm, I'm an Irishman uh, based in Dublin. Uh, was a journalist for almost 20 years, um, always interested in media. Actually, I had a sort of a brief period working in content in the in the first uh, Web 1.0 or the dot-com boom era, but mostly worked as a journalist and then about 10 years ago pivoted into uh, into the SaaS world with with Intercom um, and, and headed up, established the content function there and sort of built that out and spent about seven or eight years at, at Intercom and then uh, moved to Ramp where I headed up content and comms and yeah, saw phenomenal growth there. I mean, they're, they're definitely one of the fastest growing fintech companies in the last few years. Uh, and since the summer, I've been working as a, a you know consultant and uh, advisor to, to B2B companies and uh, doing a bit of investing on the side. So yeah, and uh, yeah, what else can you tell you about me? Yeah, as I said, Dublin-based, married, two kids. Uh, well, they're not kids anymore, grown up nearly. Uh, yeah, that's that's me. Are you into cycling? I, I, I feel like yeah. I, I, I see you're a cyclist <laughs> on social media. Yeah, yeah. Cycling's the new golf, isn't it? Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, the thing that uh, men of a certain age and uh, a certain, uh, you know, job type t- tend to do. So, yeah, I'm one of those mammals that goes out, goes out most weekends. Uh 
done a lot of cycling in France and stuff as well. But yeah, I love love getting out of the bike. Uh, used to be a runner, but as you get older, your your knees your knees start to give out, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I need to. It's one of these things. It's not actually a New Year's resolution for me this year, but I need to buy a bike. And then I, I live by the coast, and there's fantastic coastline to explore. Lovely jump on the bike but one thing and maybe it's just me and i don't know if this is something that you've overcome but i kind of worry about you know i hear about all these bike accidents and like going really fast and going around corners and you know country lanes and it kind of scares me a little bit john have you have you experienced this in ireland and how have you overcome that or would you recommend uh, yeah i suppose well i mean i think i like got into cycling first as a kind of uh, a commuter and uh, i do remember actually when i was in uh, san francisco the first time with with uh, intercom and uh, kind of hard i was there for two weeks i heard it bike and cycling down Market Street with a few colleagues, and they were like, "Oh, you know, this is this is really hairy and dangerous." And uh, I kind of cycled down and went. Compared to cycling through Dublin and dodging buses in our narrow streets that we have in Dublin, I was like, "This is this is a cakewalk." So, I think maybe having uh, done that commuting thing first, uh, it's it kind of inured me a bit to to the, the risks. But also, I actually, you know, and, and this is something you know, as you get older in life, you're like, "Oh, join a club," you know. Uh, but I actually joined a cycling club and. Just, you know, you pick up so much cycling in a group uh, and, and so many sort of tips and tricks and just, just how, to, how to be how to be safe, yeah. safe and build a bit of confidence. So that's that's been huge as well. Yeah, and I've heard, I mean, you did say, and this is obviously not a podcast about cycling, so we'll, we'll move on quickly, but um, uh, you did say it's like the new golf and I, uh, my brother-in-law sort of mentioned around cycling and how uh, beneficial it has been from a networking perspective because you kind of meet like-minded people, but, you know, it's a great sort of opportunity so he, he's met like really good people from joining cycling clubs yeah. and uh recommended it but uh, uh but moving I'm, on yeah i'm amazed more people don't sponsor cycling stuff uh well, you know in terms of like when you can think of out of yeah tech that companies is. back in the day that do golf outings and stuff uh yeah. definitely if uh, someone's in events and wants a good tip maybe that's a good one sastock cycling club coming to a city <laughs> near you um and um Cool. So, John, uh, like you, you talked about Intercom, talked about San Francisco yep. uh, there, uh, and, and actually, like how we kind of like first sort of connected, and, and going back to the, like origin stories of, or Sastock, uh, and for the audience, uh, hopefully some will know, some don't. But before Sastock was, you know, an events and media business, or and even called Sastock. Uh, we were called Sascribe, and the idea was that you know I wanted to kind of launch a, uh, a kind of a magazine for SAS, but like I didn't really have the the wherewithal uh, you know at the time. So it started you know with a blog, um, got a little bit of traction in the kind of the early days. Didn't really know what I, I, I was doing so much, but uh, I, I got an email one day from uh, a gentleman called Aaron Foreman. Um, and, uh, you know, he was like, yeah, I like what you're doing. I'm rooting for you. I don't know if Aaron speaks like that, but, you know, it was kind of more in a accent. And, yeah, Aaron was like heading up, I think, comms or like PR or something at Intercom yeah. at the time. Uh, and we was just, you, you know, so we connected and uh, I was then sort of like asking for, I think, a little bit of advice. And he said, look, I'll introduce you to John Collins. I emailed you. Uh, and then you very kindly said, yeah, you know, I can give up some time, uh, you know, and have a chat with you, uh, which I really appreciated. And so when I was in Dublin, I came to the intercom offices, kind of walked in. I thought I was in a nightclub uh, and I was like very, very impressed. But we, we we had a good chat for like, I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour or something like that. And uh, hopefully I think I took on board some of the uh, the great feedback. But they're then kind of sharing how like we connected, you know, kind of like eight years ago and, and actually... Uh, yeah, I think just like the value and the things that I kind of took on board from that was somebody that really didn't know about me, uh, content marketing, getting involved and, and really kind of how that 
played a part, you know, in the in the beginning of Sastock. So unfortunately, we didn't give you any shares, but it was a, it was a short <laughs> meeting. Um, but um, but no, I do I, I want to say, you know, obviously I do appreciate that. And I, I may have said that before, but uh, you, you know, I think here for for people that are kind of listening, it's it, I think it's a really nice thing, certainly within SAS or, or outside that that ability to pay it forward if you if you have it right and mm -hmm. there are so many you know entrepreneurs that are kind of you, you know like i don't know pre-revenue or they've got an idea and i know time is precious and you you know the power of saying no is important but sometimes you know if you say yes and you take that meeting you know it can really help people out so uh, I, I think it's great that you had that pay it forward spirit yeah. and mentality and, and certainly helped me and, and maybe many others so uh, no, uh, yeah. thanks for that uh, but I mean I think you know and it probably comes a little bit from the from the Irish thing where you realize the, the world is kind of small and um, you know you if you do pay it forward it does come back um, yeah. I think you, you need to set some parameters as well um, you know I think uh, you, you can't say yes to everyone, but I think, you know, if you if you sort of clear to people, like, uh, yeah, actually, I think it was Des Trainer said this to me once. He used to say, like, you get a huge amount of requests for people for coffee meetings and stuff. And he'd say, like, well, generally, I say to people, look, look, meet me first thing in the morning for, co like, for coffee. You know, if, you, if you're willing to meet me at 8.39 in the morning. And it kind of, like, a lot of the, the messers and time wasters, it kind of filters them out. If you just kind of, like, at least make the bar slightly high. Um, yeah. so that there's some kind of natural filter but I mean it was clear you 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 had interviewed Owen at that stage for Sascribe and it was clear you were you were passionate and like trying to do something different and actually try and like you know at, at that stage I think you know not not from a media perspective because I think there was like a lot of media around tech at that point uh, and, and the media landscape was a lot better than it is now around tech but um, it was clear that like you, you were kind of somewhat an insider and really wanted to sort of like highlight the interesting stories uh, that were coming out of SAS so it was kind of like it, it was a no-brainer to sort of go hey like, let's let's give this guy a, a bit of time and a bit of a, a bit of a steer uh, you know it's not a major investment from our side. Yeah, no, no, appreciate that, and it, and it and it did come back eight years later. Uh, <laughs> I was actually thinking, and I'm, I'm sure I was probably subconsciously thinking about that podcast that I did with Owen uh, like earlier today, and I, and I remember uh, that we we did the podcast. I thought it went quite well, but I was very inexperienced at the time. Uh, and then we published it, and he didn't promote it. And I was kind of wondering why, like, he didn't promote it. And then I kind of reached out to him, and he came back, and it's like. Yeah, the podcast, the interview was really good, but I really hate the intro music, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to promote it, and I was like, "Oh, come on, man!" And then I, I think I don't know. I think he did at, at some point, but uh, I just remember that story. I, I found it sort of quite funny. Uh, but uh, uh, anyway, but uh, so look, you worked at Intercom for uh, uh, yeah. a long time. Uh, Owen is back uh, uh, as well. Speaking of Owen, uh, how many years were you at Intercom? Uh, just over seven years. Seven years. Uh, yeah, so um, joined pretty early on. It was just past a million in ARR. I think the company was about two and a half years old. Yeah, uh, and and uh, as you said, you built out the content marketing kind of you know functional machine. Uh, mm. And I I remember sort of during those days, which was not that long ago, that there was, and maybe there still is. I I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't see it as much, but a real cult like following about the intercom sort of like content. Like you guys were really kind of you raised the bar, leading the way. You know, at the time, I think now there's so much content marketing out there that perhaps you know I'm not seeing it you know as much. But that's we'll go into the, ne the the next part. But tell us a little bit then. Like you came in, there were a million ARR. Like, how did you build? What were the steps that you took to build? You know, the intercom content machine, and you, you know, maybe some lessons from that. Yeah, sure. So I think the big thing um, was that you know when I came in. Um, 
Des, uh, and to a lesser extent, Des Trainer, the, the uh, chief strategy officer and, and own CEO, had had been effectively running the blog themselves. Des, Des in particular, Des wrote the first ninety three of one hundred blog posts on uh, on Inside Intercom, and I mean getting a, getting a lot of tra- traction. Um, you know, I think that maybe you're getting like sort of. Uh, Probably, probably like you know, three thousand, uh, three thousand page views or something a, a week. You know, it was decent traffic. They were definitely like their their profile internationally as well was I think probably much higher than it would have been. Um, without it, you know, they were sharing a lot of the lessons learned of of, of building a pro- product and building a product like company. Uh, and so it was, as you said, like sort of to build a machine. It was like, can, how do we operationalize this so that we can actually really scale content, uh, not just production, but the whole, everything that goes around it. Uh, and I think that the, the the struggle they'd had up to then was finding someone who wasn't just going to scale content, but was going to scale up, but still keep the quality and you know all that like subject matter expertise that they had, and they they invested in all the pieces they did. You know, HubSpot was probably like the the, the leading example. Hub, HubSpot and Buffer, I think, probably the leading examples at the time, but they were very SEO driven. Like it was like a lot of content, but it wasn't super deep. It was really, really wide, like really comprehensive, yeah. um, but not that deep. And like, obviously, that's that's a very valid strategy that works works really well. And, you know, you can't, can't, can't knock either of those companies in, in terms of what they're doing. But we obviously wanted to stand out as well, like, you know, as as a sort of a, a startup and, uh, you know, with, with no sort of reputation, how do you, you, you need to do something different to stand out. And so our whole thing was like quality content. Uh, we uh, were always trying to get the subject matter experts on, on the blog. So whether that meant ghostwriting or interviewing people internally and putting stuff out with their name on it but like it was really trying to figure out how do we how can we scale that up and and, and start to like go from probably what was like publishing once a week to, to, to publishing more often to starting to think about things like books and gated content and podcasts uh, and that that's really what I did was was taking a lot of what I knew as a journalist uh, in terms of like how to produce like create an editorial machine you know just simple things like having having calendars and production processes and making it clear to people like, okay, you know, we've got, we've got draft. Now we're going to move on to like second draft and then we're going to get pre-publication, you know, so that just things move forward constantly. And the, you know, as a, as a, an editorial person, this is kind of bread and butter stuff for me, but I suppose uh, tougher for, 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 you know, people in a SaaS company who wouldn't have that kind of background. Um, so that was really what it was about in the early days. And, 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 uh, and thanks for sharing that. And then for the listeners, you know, can you explain, uh, like, first of all, okay, so when he came in, like, Des was writing these blog posts, they're getting 3,000 page views, let's say, per, per blog post, uh, to what, when, maybe six years later, or at some, you know, time stamp it at some point, you've got the machine running, and, you know, we have the podcast, and we've got all, you know, five days a week we're publishing, whatever it is. What did the web traffic look like at then, at that point? And then strategically, you know, why, why did Intercom, you know, invest in you, invest in content marketing like it did? Like, what was the, for them, the reward, you know, in terms of, let's say, inbound marketing strategy, you know, leads, et cetera? You know, why, why, why would a SaaS company do that? I mean, we'd think it's obvious, but, you know, let's teach some people to suck eggs. Sure, yeah. So, well, I suppose the, the blog uh, was kind of like the, the real top of funnel play, and it really was about, like, trying to, Generate traffic and interest. Uh, you know, we probably scaled that to, from memory, something like north of one hundred and fifty thousand page views a month. Um, we did at one stage. We're publishing five days a week, but we pulled back a little from that because um, you, you can definitely have too much of a good thing. But there's kind of two things uh, you can do with content it's like build your brand and and generate leads and so in terms of the brand building the blog was definitely all about that inside intercom inside intercom then became the event series that we did where 
you know, we did world tours and all sorts of things like that. And we, mm. we brought, effectively, it was like a live version of the blog uh, coming to people's cities. And obviously, I had a very good partner on the on the event side. Uh, but I like myself, and my team worked very closely in terms of like programming the content for that. Like we thought of events as as, as live content, and uh, it wasn't just about you know, wanted to make sure. That, yes, we like we're in amazing venues and like production values are really high, but like also people would just get interesting content when they attended them. So, you know. Definitely, it was we were investing to to build a brand, but then also we wanted to ge- generate leads, and so that was when we started to uh, layer on things like gated content. So books were were a huge thing for us. Um, again, looking at what was out there, um, you know, there was a lot of people producing eBooks, but like there might be like a twenty page PDF, and you know, you have to fill out this huge form to. To, to download it, you know, job title and your mother's maiden name and God knows what else, you know, it was like we were, hey, look, we're going to produce a book. It's going to be, you know, tw- at least 20,000 words. It's going to be available as a PDF, an EPUB, a .mobi. It's going to have an ISSN number, you know, like a proper barcode. It's a registered book of the Library of Congress, you know, like this will feel like it's a real fair value exchange. And that's, that's a huge piece that with, with content that people feel like that it's it's not just you're doing the bare minimum to get an email address and get get a lead that actually you're you're giving them something uh, of, of of big value in, in exchange um and even just things like we gated them but like we asked for an email address and name and an email address but you know certainly weren't looking for you know loads and loads of, of, of personal information it was really and then using that con- the content we already had then to kind of nurture those leads and, and hopefully warm them up to 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 the point where they they purchased intercom um but yeah and that, you know also i suppose by the time i left to like content had grown to sort of do things like sales enablement uh, as well so you know we had this content machine we were producing a huge amount of content but how do we scale things like customer evidence uh you know white white papers and things like that that sales team needed as well um so that, that was a huge part of what we did and partnered very closely with product marketing on on, on all that side of things as well and you and you went from being that first, I guess, build, building out the, the the content marketing machine at Intercom, and from one million ARR through to, I mean, well, probably north of a hundred, certainly by uh, by the time you you, you left, um, I, I, and then going to Ramp, which was one of the fastest growing you know SaaS companies, certainly the last couple of years that we're we're aware of. So you join, you, you know, a unicorn business, to, but to join another very fast growing sort of unicorn business. How is that sort of like different for you? Because obviously they've probably been doing, I would imagine, like content marketing for a little while. So what was the difference in coming in in terms of like what you needed to do? Uh, and then what were the lessons that you learned from, you know, what you did? And what, what did you do differently, you know, Ramp? Yeah. So uh, it's interesting, actually, Ramp was probably around the, the same stage in terms of the size of the company. Um, you know, I think it was like 65 people or something when I, when I joined. And actually, similarly, like there was, I was like... I think I was the third higher higher in marketing, um, so it's a similar stage in that regard. But I think like Ramp was a unicorn at that point. Um, literally, just just as I joined, uh, we did did the double uh, series series uh, series B. Uh, anyway, um, you know, so with, with a lot of a lot of money in the a lot more money in the bank, uh, probably further on in terms of uh, product development as well. Um, but it was a very different kind of product, and it was a very different kind of space we were trying try to sell into. So, for people who don't know, Ramp has a like a, a, a charge card, a credit card, 
Um, but, uh, you know, that's kind of like the Trojan horse to get in there. It's like your, your business credit card. But actually, they have like a whole software suite in the background that helps you manage your spending, like pretty much everything except payroll. Uh, so you can do expense management, you can pay your bills, all that, that kind of stuff. So like we were trying to sell to founders, CEOs, CFOs. Um, but equally, we were also trying to like it was the finance team who were going to be in that tool all the time. And like. If you think about it, once you get a card into a company starts using a card, it's one thing to take on the card, but you have to transfer your spend to that card from your existing solution, etc. So we we also had a huge opportunity in terms of engaging with the the finance team and making sure it was easy for them to do all that stuff. So, um, and I think less less of a like we definitely we're, we're we're trying to build it in somewhat, but let, unlike uh, Intercom, I, I don't think there was as much. You know, product managers and founders who were in, in the early days of Intercom, like we were producing content for them and they were like a little bit religious about it in terms of sharing it and like wanting to learn more from Intercom. I don't think there was going to be the same thing around a, a finance tool and um, really kind of settled on sort of, if you think about it, you're frustrated with your current card, uh, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? You you try and ask your peers what, what they've got or you actually start doing some Google research. And, and so SEO and customer evidence, actually finding um, like great stories in our customers was was, was huge. Um, actually, Ramp is kind of, kind of interesting. Um, you know, obviously, people talk about the competition with Brex a lot, uh, but Brex was way more focused on, on startups. And I think what was interesting at Ramp was they had like a lot of these very traditional sort of uh, businesses across America who were like, getting really really getting great use out of out of the platform uh so like one of their biggest customers was walter farms which is like one of the biggest uh chain of potato farms in in, in the us and so i was really trying to get like the expose the the wealth of customer stories we had there and and, and how customers were getting value out of it and a big big seo play um really trying to trying to not necessarily uh, rank for um huge volume keywords but like really high intent keywords keywords that are like you know so less so um you know think things like how to prepare a budget or whatever which like your average seo agency would come in and talk to fintech about uh and more stuff that showed like people are starting to get frustrated with their their current uh situations so maybe they're maybe they're searching for things like you know how to get more out of my like credit card points or stuff like that very yeah, cool quite Thanks different strategy so uh, thanks for sharing that. And then obviously now you're moving into advising. Uh, mm-hmm. Why move into advising? What sort of companies are you you working with? And um, yeah, like, who, like yeah. If, if you're listening to this, uh, like why, like <laughs> what sort of company you you know should, yeah. should reach out to? Uh, well, given obviously the background with Intercom and Ramp, yeah, mostly working with B two B companies, mostly kind of in the in the SaaS space. Uh, really, just uh, you know, I suppose. Two, two reasons for the change for me, like flexibility, um, you know, uh, definitely had a long run, at like almost 10 years in two very high growth companies. And that's that that uh, it's pretty full on. Uh, so uh, definitely enjoy the flexibility of, of, of being able to sort of manage my own time a bit better uh, working for clients. Um, but also just I like uh I'm definitely someone who likes to start things and uh, do new things and learn about new things. And so it's just a great opportunity to get exposed to the different kinds of problems people have and what, how they're trying to solve them with content and, and figuring out where I can add value and help them sort of, you know, do content that, that actually moves the needle for them. Like, interesting, I'm working with a client at the moment and, you know, they came to me because basically they, they over, over lockdown and COVID period, they like really increased their uh, content production and it was like, oh, great, we've like 4X traffic. 
but their organic leads have like sort of stalled and in fact gone down slightly and it's like okay what are we doing wrong here and i love just getting stuck into those kind of problems and figuring out um how, how to help people uh, turn that around very cool so we, we're going to uh well the, the title of the podcast is called have we reached peak content in yep. sap so have we yes <laughs> the end yeah. Uh, no, I mean, like look, we 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 chatted previously about this, and uh, and I think we both thought it was kind of an, an interesting topic. But like, look at every 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 SaaS startup. Um, they will invariably have a blog and a podcast at this stage. Um, everyone like it's con- it's great to see the the difference over the last decade that like content marketing now really is considered one of the main pillars of marketing. Uh, everyone sees. You know the, the the advantage to it. I think the economic climate uh, in the last year or two has really mo- moved towards that. Like everyone's trying to get away from uh, you know pay, paid acquisition um, and 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 really get much more uh, organic acquisition of, of 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 leads and customers. So yeah, clearly there's been a even bigger bigger investments in content. But the reality is like there's just a lot of it just doesn't stand out. It doesn't get traffic and it doesn't perform for for, for folks. Um, and I think uh, it's it's kind of the you know there's a lot of people like me coming around uh, helping people produce content and you know and, and that's actually something I, I don't do I don't I don't sort of get my hands dirty in terms of producing content I will definitely help people put in place the structures and the agencies or freelancers or even in-house people to 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 to, to produce the content but I don't think that's the problem I think a lot of people just don't have a strong strategy and figure out like how they're going to how they're going to get traffic to to that content how they're going to like convert that traffic once it once it, it gets onto their site and really just how to stand out amongst the noise i mean there's just there's just so much stuff and it's not you know as i always say as well you're not just competing with other b2b SaaS content you're just competing for people's attention and you know there's just so much stuff for us to consume these days you know it's kind of it, you know we're, we're all trying to spend a bit less time time on our glued on our, our phones and stuff but you know we, we keep getting drawn in and there's a lot of mindless content that you know uh, sucks our attention so with, with um, I mean, I agree, agree with all of that. And let, let's say um, a couple of quick, like on the podcast side of things. So like th- this podcast is now eight years old. Uh, sometimes it surprised me that, you, you know, pleasantly that, you know, each week we're kind of still churning it out. But back eight years ago, like was probably one or two podcasts that were, you, you know, in the SaaS space and, you know, of which we, we were one of them. Now, as you said, everybody's got a podcast, right? And um, which I think is also, you know, a, a good thing. But if you're launching a podcast today, um, how do you stand out, right? I mean, like, what? I, I'm sure it's specific in many cases to the company, but like, w- what are maybe some of the ideas to kind of stand out? And something that I've, I've seen, this is maybe just an, an observation sort of a comment, uh, and I don't know if this is still the case, but. What I would see over the eight years that I've been doing it, a lot of people start a podcast, realize that it just takes a really long time to kind of build an audience in general. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, so I see, and then they give up after six months um, because they are only getting a hundred people of hundred and fifty people yeah. listening to the podcast. So, what are your your thoughts just around that? How do you stand out given the volume of podcasts? And then, like, you know, how long should you persist until yeah. you know it's not working or or, or whatever? Yeah, so there's a number of things I kind of like always uh, think about. Uh, like one thing I think is 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 just you, you, you know you have to get right is decent production values. Like just genuinely having something that like people are going to be comfortable listening to that is not being recorded on an iPhone. Like make the investment. 
like as you talked about, like you know, uh, eight years ago there wasn't that many people in, in SaaS doing podcasts. We launched the, the Intercom podcast in 2015, and literally we said, right, we're going to do 10 episodes and just see is there a market for this? Like, because effectively it was kind of like a like what is the the podcast version of Inside Intercom? And so I think I think like we agreed a budget of like a thousand dollars or something, you know, literally to get 10 episodes out. But like I think the the bulk of that was spent on like a really good microphone and like getting some um getting some soundproofing for like a little spare room we had in the office turned into like a, a studio and like it was quite ghetto i mean i, I remember even when we did it in um in, in in san francisco we like literally were pasting egg trays to the, to the wall to try and like you know dampen the sound and so i think um you know the just have it you know uh, big brands i've heard big brands and you literally it's just not comfortable to listen to it so that's a, yeah. that's kind of a, 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 a just a basic i think the other thing is like figuring out who the guests you can get if you are if that's the road you're going down interviews are like who are the highest profile guests you can get that are gonna like ha- come with a built-in audience because like good guests get you know attract bigger guests and a big thing there is like literally just start trolling linkedin and, and like you know obviously make sure you're, you're you're connected to everyone in your your your, your startup but like just start to look at like who are you know maybe someone's worked with someone previously in their career who's at like you know wherever who, whatever it is like you know at meta or google or i don't know whoever but like just someone like a name you know so that you're not just uh it's great to like expose those lesser known voices who you're gonna have really interesting conversations with but you do that you, you can do that once you have an audience uh, and then just making sure it's really easy for those folks to, to promote and share with their networks. And, and again, investing a little bit in terms of design, maybe that you're giving them nice social assets or whatever, whatever it is. Um, I think the other big thing people make a mistake is, you know, uh, you know, like if it's podcasts like All In or, you know, a lot of these podcasts that are more media companies that are quite popular they go on quite a long right but they can because of 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 who they are and 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 um you know what 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 they're saying i think like keep it tight like just signal to noise you know maximize that as well uh if a podcast only needs to be 15 minutes why not make it 15 minutes um you know there's uh like i i would actually say it, it, I'd, I'd almost be like going shorter like almost you know 10 minutes like three times a week rather than like l- longer in in depth ones you know again that yeah. would probably stand out right now because it's 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 outside the norm but you know again as you said it's it's really down to the individual company and thinking about like what they're trying to achieve and what 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 they have to work with but they're just some of the the sort of uh parameters i think along uh, as i think about like launching a new show awesome yeah a couple of points on on that um one around getting let's say a high profile sort of guests and the benefits um the first ever guest on the SaaS Revolution show was Mark Roberge and somehow managed to do that without, you know, having a pre-existing audience. And, and that certainly helped. And for, for many years, that was the most popular episode, uh, you know, yeah. of, of the podcast. So and also in terms of getting other guests, you exactly. know, the, you, you're knocking on people's door then and they're like, who else has been on the podcast? And it's like, well, it's exactly. a brainer then once you've had Mark Roberge, you can, you can most, most people are going to say yes. Exactly. And then and rather embarrassingly, and this is like an apology to the to the listeners, we still have the same intro that we had three, four years ago, where I recorded it on my, you know, iPhone headphones or whatever. They weren't even, uh, you know, AirPods. Uh, and we are replacing it this year. We are updating. We are leveling up the, the podcast, certainly intro and, uh, and, and hopefully across uh, many other things. Um, so definitely I agree. Like, you, you know, the, the production quality of, of podcasts has really kind of gone up. 
um, from, you, you know, as you say, this kind of like the ghetto types of like stitching it together and people's expectations are, are, are kind of much higher. Uh, uh, so for sure and then the last part on like keeping it short yeah interestingly um, I mean there's one podcast I occasionally listen to which is Eric Sue's uh, podcast which I think is called Leveling Up and they're like seven minute episodes or something like that and you, you can just like digest a few of them learn something new very quickly um, and uh, yeah it's quite interesting versus the when I'm on my commute I listen to All In and, and generally because the commute is an hour and a half I get it done uh, but uh, again, they they've got you know four like amazing people on there. But uh, um, but yeah, good stuff. So what about SEO? So we, we mentioned like SEO a little bit. Thoughts on SEO as a strategy? Because obviously with Intercom, you did quality over quantity. Um, we, I know some companies, uh, and you mentioned HubSpot, uh, you know, being one where SEO works really well. You you know we're thinking obviously about our content marketing strategy and you know SEO versus kind of like quality. So what is the John Collins thoughts on SEO as a strategy? Yeah, so it, it it's a definitely a tough one to balance, uh, particularly if you're kind of going on a, a quality uh, content push, uh, and then you have to have these quite definitional SEO articles um, to, to to rank, um, you know, which can seem quite um, beginner level. So, like, definitely always try and think about like, is there a way to to publish that content? That makes sense for humans as well as the algorithm. So whether it's like create a glossary or, you know, something like where you can, it makes sense that, hey, here's our academy, our, you know, our foundation level intro to to the space we're in. Yet you kind of have the thought leadership or the like opinionated content sitting somewhere else. So they're not two of them sitting in together, which can be quite, quite jarring for people. Um, I do think that like we've seen with all the updates from Google in recent times, it's basically just rewarding sites with better content, better quality content, and that are not trying to play the game. Like Google, even compared to like four or five years ago, is is, is way more sophisticated. Um, the other thing I would say is like there's definitely big opportunities in sort of programmatic SEO of like, you know, really trying to produce high volume, uh, almost templated SEO pages. That makes sense. I mean, obviously the likes of Canva and people have, have done it over the years. Uh, uh, Zapier as well, I think done that really successfully. But like even now, like a company like Do Not Pay, I think is a really interesting example how they have massively scaled SEO. Uh, and quite often that's a matter of looking at like, is there, you know, data in terms of like, l looking at your product and, and, and thinking about like, you c can we actually extract data here that, and then do scaled SEO? So like a good example, uh, potentially, you know, someone like Ramp, they've got spending data in terms of customers. So like, why couldn't you do a bunch of SEO pages of like, you know, uh, average price for business hotel in, in San Francisco, New York, New Orleans, blah, 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 you know, and, and they're very templated pages that you can you can produce. You literally just have to, to input the data you have from your own product or platform. Um, so I think, you know, if you're going to do, uh, yeah, if, if, if SEO is going to be, yeah, a major, major driver. I think it's you kind of have to come up with, um, you know, something that's like really, really going to scale. Um, I think the, the the standard sort of like let's find the top one hundred keywords and go like what is spend management. It's it that's that's tough. Um, and and uh, I find it less and less successful as, as Google's got more and more uh, sophisticated. What what are your thoughts on SaaS companies buying like communities and media companies? I think like last year certainly saw like a little bit of a buzz around that. Obviously HubSpot bought the hustle. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was last year or the year before. Pendo yep. bought mine the product. Set, uh, you know, Outreach bought Sales Hacker quite a few years ago. You know, there's some of these kind of like uh, examples, and it it's it's not necessarily like really taken fire, but certainly we've seen you know companies do that. What are your thoughts on it? And if you were 
uh, doing intercom all over again, would you go out and buy communities at a media company? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's uh, and it's interesting. Like, is do you, do you buy a media company or do you buy a buy a community? Like, are you buying them for their audience and the sort of like the community that's around the 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 content, or is it like for the actual content itself? Yeah. Um, and I think you know it's interesting because the the examples are you know they are pretty pretty unique uh, and there are different reasons why why those companies and they were at the very different stages. So I think it can work, but it, I don't think it's a, a blanket. Um, you know, it, it necessarily can work for for everyone. The other thing I would say, like a big part of content, uh, and I've always found is like you're you're trying to expose the people in your company. You're trying to exp- you know, um, and kind of sh- show the humans behind a bit more because like even in, even in B two B, people want to have some kind of emotional connection to the product, right? Yeah. It's not purely just like oh, this is the cheapest thing out there. Um, you know, you're generally going to have competition, and so I think a big part of the differentiation is that people like buy into the brand and the people behind the brand, um, and so. If you're grafting on an external media company, that that can be really hard to do. Yeah, no, good point. And and actually, uh, like with Intercom, obviously you did do that. And I remember it sort of tra- it, it, all content wasn't just by Des Trainer. Where you see like, um, and I don't know if they transitioned away, even though they've done content marketing really well. But like with Profitwell, everything is Patrick Campbell written, but you know some of it is I'm sure yeah. it's you, you know ghost written, but. With Intercom, we got to know, you know, a number of people like within the company, like Paul Adams, you, you know, for instance, yeah. and uh, there were some others, but you know, can't name them. But um, yeah, very sort of like yeah, interesting approach to it. Um, and let's move on to the uh, sort of quickish fire round now, John. <laughs> um, what one thing has moved the needle for the most for you in your career? Uh, Probably realizing I had transferable skills. Uh, I mean, I think there's so many talented people in media and they're going through a tough time and people, you know, I, I definitely found when I transitioned out of media, a lot of people are like, how did you do it? Why did you do it? You know, but just realizing the skills I had uh, could, could be used in, in new contexts and in new industries, uh, which, which was huge. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever received? Best advice I've ever received? Um... Probably best business advice actually was way back when I aged myself. Now I edited a magazine, a PC magazine, back in back in the nineties, and uh, we used to go to trade shows, and uh, a lot of people would be giving out freebies and stuff. And our publisher always said we'd give out back issues of the magazine, but we would charge one pound. And his whole thing was like, you can't start charging if you've given something for people for free that they'll never start paying for it. And I think you know, much later in the Web 2.0 era, there was that famous blog post, the Penny Gap about how to get your customers to go from paying nothing to paying something. And I just think, you know, even in terms of like, I've, I've never had a, an unpaid intern, uh, for instance, I just think that, you know, if, if what you do is value, you should, you should charge from it from day one. Uh, I think it's fine, obviously, if you've, you know, you've different model for, for monetizing, but, um, you know, it's, it's really stood by me to sort of think like, even if it's only a, a token payment or a to- some kind of token consideration that you should always, always charge for what you do. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And so, sometimes I would get, I mean, maybe this is like a founder bias, but a little bit offended by people asking, you know, like for free things, free tickets or whatever to SaaS stock, where I'm saying, well, look, the team is working a whole year, you know, creating the value and like, you know, you want to come for free. And, you know, it used to piss me off less so these days, but, uh, um, but yeah, good stuff. Uh, what about biggest failure you've made or, uh, and lesson learned? It can be mistake, but failure is quite a strong word. Um, Probably, I mean, uh, I would say, and it'll probably surprise people who know me because they probably think I'm quite a, a little bit, bit of an outspoken uh, person, but just not speaking up sometimes and uh, and sort of, 
assuming that you don't have the knowledge or the the domain knowledge to kind of go whoa hold on a second why, why are we doing this and i would definitely say i think um without naming names or getting into individual situations certainly in the early days of marketing and it in common in in hindsight uh kind of feel like probably should have uh you know called things out maybe maybe sooner um but hey that's that you live and learn and you get confidence as you grow in your your career hardest thing about being in content marketing right now do you think uh i would say that everyone everyone uh, has an opinion on content uh and uh everyone thinks they can write uh which which can be difficult um and so yeah a lot of backseat drivers i think when you're when you work in content is uh this wasn't a question but i thought about it and we could do a whole other podcast but is chat gpt going to be a good thing for content marketing or a bad thing um i think it's interesting i think it's going to actually you know what it's going to remove a lot of the grunt work uh you know if we're talking about like a lot of those definitional seo posts that you know have to be done sometimes but like don't really add a lot of value and they're basically a pain in the ass to write um you know take all that stuff away but i still think opinionated quality content and it kind of goes back to i mean we probably didn't go too deep on, on the peak content piece but like you know my advice to a lot of clients is <coughs> excuse me produce less content but like stuff that's like got an opinion uh that's you can really get behind uh do less of those things that that, that will actually stand out and so i think chat gpt can look after a lot of the other stuff um and and, and content marketers and can really and also focus more on things like distribution and like partnerships and all that kind of stuff that like all of it i think content marketers generally are, come from a, a content production background and so our, our, our nature is to kind of focus on those like producing the stuff but less so thinking about how we're going to um you know make, make that stuff work for the business and get it seen by people now you've got some more flexibility with your time as an uh, advisor to SaaS companies. What does your daily routine look like? Uh, yeah, so I'm like like most people, I think uh, like I have a real tendency. You know, I, I found the early days I was like, you know, well the early days of, of working for myself. You know, it was like I'd be kind of busy all the time, but like would never get as much done as I wanted to. So I've really just I've actually just got into the habit of sort of blocking out like time and say. You know, I'm going to do a half day on this, a half day on that. Like yesterday was my like meetings day. So I had like four meetings, in-person in meetings in town, which is great to be back to in-person meetings. Seems to be finally back to normal on that, that front. Um, you know, so really, I, I don't, I, there's not a typical day, but there's like blocks, as I say, you know, I'll do like, okay, I'm spending a half a day on, on this client today. Um, you know, and I also just do try and like make sure I have time for, uh you know do, do stuff family stuff and get out on the bike maybe during the week and stuff like that which is definitely the the joy of the flexibility good stuff well john um where can people find you online if they want to speak to you about content marketing anything you've mentioned uh, on, on the podcast or uh, perhaps even you know inquire what is your rate uh, as an advisor yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, where can they reach out uh, to you? Sure, I used to be uh, a lot more active on Twitter, but I find these days that um, just my headspace. <laughs> you know, regardless of what your opinions of uh, like the ownership or anything like that, I think it's just yeah. it's it's just you know it can be a it's it's not a fun place to be a lot of the times lately. So yeah, uh, johncollins.cc actually is uh, you you'll find my website. Um, and uh, you know, link to my LinkedIn, which is probably the best way to get a hold of me actually from there. Very good. Good stuff. John, uh, great seeing you virtually. Uh, eight years in the making, uh, being on the podcast. Um, right, really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, we'll no doubt see you at uh, you, you know uh, in Dublin, uh, hopefully before Sastock returns this October. Uh, thanks so much, John Collins, uh, for being a great guest on the SAS Revolution Show. Thanks, Alex. 
Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SASDOC conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.